welcome back to The Story Podcast. I am Harris III, and I am so excited about today's episode for a few reasons. I know I say that about every episode, but you guys, I'm seriously excited about this one because one, we're moving on to the next storyteller type in our five-part series, and this one is The Artisan, which I'm sure many of you in the story community will probably identify with. Let me just say it that way. Second, we are kicking off The Artisan series with Academy Award-winning costume designer, Ruth Carter. It's so good. Ruth came to speak on the story stage in 2018, just before her Oscar win for the costumes that she created for Marvel's film, Black Panther. But I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Let's take a moment and talk about The Artisan. If you've taken our storytelling type assessment over on storygatherings.com, and this was what you were typed as, I want to tell you some of the amazing things about you, this type, the artisan. Artisans are deeply passionate about their art and the story it tells those who view or interact with it, whether it's paint on canvas, carefully crafted lines in poetry, lyrics to a song, movement of bodies through dance, notes that seem to just float off of sheet music. Artisans use a variety of mediums to intertwine their heart and their message. And they are so in tune with the stories around them. They oftentimes are deeply empathetic and emotionally developed because of the ways they experience the world. And this is exactly why we wanted to kick off the Artisan series with Ruth Carter. She has dreamt up the way her costumes and designs guide and deepen the stories of those that wear them. Her work has been featured in movies like Selma, Malcolm X, Black Panther, just to name a few. And she is not only brilliant, but deeply connected to the way that costumes tell stories of their own. So listen in on part of my conversation backstage with Ruth back at Story 2018. Black Panther was incredible. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Great job. Seriously. Great job. That's not like the PR version of that's like legitimately seriously. And I know you know that everyone's raving well, you about know, your work right now. You don't right walk now. around knowing that, you know, you don't yeah. walk around waiting for compliments either. But, you know, it's a humbling experience to have uh, people say, you know, great job. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as an artist, you never feel like anything was ever finished. Of course. So, <laughs> so you know, I can uh, point out things that I would say, oh, I could have done that a little bit different. <laughs> but in the end, it's uh, presented to the world and they have accepted it. And it's wonderful to see uh, the way that they have embraced it. Yeah, because at the time you're doing your best work. Um, but I would imagine that because every single project you work on, you're putting your own creative process into practice mm-hmm. and then it's making you better. And so by the time you finish a project, you're better than you were going into it just because of how that project changes you, which means that every single project you walk into is going to leave you looking back going, ah, I could have done better. Do you think that's a result of just the growth that took place as you were walking through that project? Um, The growth that took place on the Black Panther was monumental, not only with regards to my own personal growth as an artist, also as my professional growth as my, you know, it, it, it's a, was a whole nother level, you know, working with Marvel and, um, having an opportunity to present Afrofuturism on such a huge scale 
globally with the support of a you know big company like Marvel behind you mm-hmm. and a visionary like Ryan Coogler. I mean, the, as far as artistry and the way I approach my work, it's no different than working with Spike Lee. Both passionate, <laughs> both uh, both wanting the same type of you know positive. Um, positive uh, outcome and Mm -hmm. uh, wanting to present um, culture in a very royal way. But this time I was, you know, under the guise of a a company that, you know, had several um, uh, ways of doing things. And that included lots of presentations and lots of meetings (laughs) and it was a a whole infrastructure. Um, And yeah, you know, in the end, it was really kind of the way to go because uh, the collaboration was uh, incredible. You know, mm-hmm. there was never a point when I didn't know what the production design team was doing. Uh, there was never a point, I think, that the visual effects didn't know what we were doing. Yeah. And uh, afterwards, once I get on another project and they don't meet as much, I go, what's going on? <laughs> you guys need to have a meeting. We need to do some presentations here. <laughs> they conditioned you. They conditioned me. And... Uh, you know, uh, the support was incredible. Like I mentioned before, artisans are deeply connected to their work. They understand the nuances of how the art they create tells a deeper, layered story that, when done well, impacts in big ways. But when is that magical moment when an artisan finally realizes that their work and the stories that it has the ability to tell can create tangible impact. When does their work become more than simply notes on an instrument or a series of movements or stitches in a garment? What is that intangible thing that drives them to create because they can't not do it? Let's listen into Ruth tell the story of her becoming. Let's rewind and go back to the beginning. Mm -hmm. Tell me about your childhood and how in the world did you end up doing what you do today? Um, I was always kind of a creative kid. Um, I, my brothers were, were artists, and so they would have stuff in their rooms, you know. My brother had the best room to go uh, exploring in when he wasn't home. So uh, I explored with his chalks, with his charcoals, with his notepads, with his papers. I looked at his drawings and I and I copied them. <laughs> and then uh, he kind of... Uh, beat me up when I, when he got home because I was all in his stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and you know, my mom was a single parent and, uh, so she was pretty much focused on keeping food on the table. Um, but she always wanted us to, you know, stay in school. She was always very positive, you know, and, uh, you know, had a lot of empathy for people. She worked uh, in, um, like, in social services for a while, where uh, the people of the community were counseled. So she knew everybody on the street. Mm-hmm. And riding in the car with my mom was kind of embarrassing for us as kids because she would look at people and comment about them and say, "Hey, he looks good today," you know. And she's like talking to talking about the homeless guy, you know. And we're like, we're hoping none of our friends see us. Uh, but I think because of that, um, we looked mm. and I looked 
And, um, you know, probably as a teenager, it, it um, put me in environments where I was probably, you know, being a little bit presumptuous or bold. But um, uh, I was also in lots of environments that were enriching and a culture was always in the background of my, my childhood. Mm. That's amazing. Is it, do you, can you think of a time where in your mind you said, this is what I want to do with the rest of my life? Mm, I had all kinds of things I wanted to do growing up. <laughs> I wanted to be a dermatologist because I felt like I could wash my face better than anyone. <laughs> but there uh, came a point in time where um, being involved with uh, theater and art mm-hmm. um, was something that was constant. And uh, I went to the library and looked up what a costume designer was uh, because I really didn't have anyone in my uh, immediate uh, surroundings that could really guide me. So I looked it up and uh, I followed the, you know, the guide in the library book. Library. How about that? (laughs) What are those? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's amazing. When I talk to people who have had such a successful career like you have, some of them are able to identify this point where, I don't know if they would all use the word epiphany, it might sound too strong, Mm -hmm. where they realize like, oh, I'm not just a painter, I'm not just a musician, I'm not just a costume designer. Um, This is story. It's all about the power that stories have. Was there a time that you realized like, oh, it's storytelling. That's that's what's happening right now. What I what I found uh, was that I could um, I found my voice Mm -hmm. and that I could express my art artistic abilities through costume design and costume design was a way of, of uh, communicating um, part of the story or embracing part of the story mm-hmm. in a visual way. So I felt like it was visual storytelling that mm-hmm. um, was it was definitely uh, a piece of the piece of the whole pie that uh, was integral to um, creating emotion and and you know visual story and um, help take people on the journey because when you see uh, when when the audience applauds applauds seeing an actor come out in a certain outfit or color it's kind of magical to you know know that you know people are affected by what they see oh for sure mm-hmm. you said there was something in there where you found your voice yeah what allowed you to do that um, just because I was constantly uh, drawing and and creating and doing costumes and uh, people were enjoying it. Um, I was the costume designer on campus. Um, I did the the traveling dance company, so I had tutus all over my <laughs> dorm room. You know, I had a really cool roommate, a few of them that were okay with it. And, you know, maybe they saw this creative process and they were intrigued by it because no one complained that I turned our kitchen table into a cutting table. <laughs> and it became something that I was doing all the time and people liked it. And so, and I really loved it. I was also doing other things. I was acting and I, you know, had a directing class where I had to direct. So I directed and I did the costumes and 
So, you know, immersing myself into this storytelling world uh, was, you know, exciting and, and beautiful to me. And I just wanted to do it over and over and over again. Yeah. I think that's what sucks us all into it, yeah, right? Yeah. So we do it because we can't not do it. Exactly. It sounds like. Yes. When the audience applauds seeing an actor come out in a certain outfit or color, it's kind of magical to know that people are affected by what they see. I'm sure there are a bunch of you listening right now, and this resonates with you. The magic that occurs when people are affected by what they see that you created. That aha moment, that realization followed by that moment of wonder where they're transported to another world and can possibly make sense of everything in a different way because of what you created. That's powerful, right? Let's keep listening in. I mean, Black Panther is the most obvious, I think just because the nature of everyone's always talking about your most recent project, of right? Of course, yeah. Um, and that film played such an important role in our culture. Um, and, I'm, and now everyone's talking about how badly this generation of kids of color needed Black Panther. Mm -hmm. um, but that's not a new conversation for you. I mean, between Selma and Malcolm X, your, your entire body of work often has to do with stories about black history. Sure. Is that, I mean, obviously as a person of color, it makes mm -hmm. sense why you would be gravitated towards telling those stories, but mm -hmm. I feel like it's deeper than that for you, right? Yeah, Maybe speak is. to that a little it bit. It has a little bit to do with the um, Afrofuture um, concept that, you know, we've always been uh, concerned about even in the early days of uh, Spike Lee. And uh, I remember on our first film, School Days, Spike wanted uh, Lawrence Fishburne to wear a Soweto t-shirt. We created uh, gear that said uplift the race. Um, you know, there was kente, a cloth brought into the costume design. Um, we, you know, really had a consciousness about, you know, uh, the multidimensional community, black community um, that included culture and forward thinking about, you know, a brighter tomorrow or positivity and not just the stereotypes that uh, tended to uh, plague Hollywood. We wanted to present, you know, beautiful images of, you know, mothers and home and community and, 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 and family. So um, that's been a part of my, my, upbringing, I would say, in mm -hmm. filmmaking, um, going from there to uh, Do the Right Thing, Selma, uh, Malcolm X, Amistad. You know, I carried that with me, whether I was working with Spike Lee um, or the incredible Ava DuVernay, mm -hmm. uh, John Singleton. I always wanted to dig a little bit deeper into the story of the community. Um, you know, I have a love for the community. It's my community, and therefore um, I'm, you know, always a, um, you know, a, a, a student of uh, how can I show this in its, in its true light. I mean, the authenticity uh, and the integrity of what I do is super important to me, mm -hmm. and therefore showing um, 
showing communities in a real way is is what I pride myself on. So Black Panther was no different. Uh, we had the opportunity to present a futuristic uh, world, to create a, a, a fiction world that was based on the beauty of Africa um, and all of its tribes and all of its artistry. Uh, but again, been doing that too throughout all of the films. Um, I can look at Amistad and remember um, bringing in um, African elements to the Africans who had um, who had taken over the ship. And I said, you know, they weren't savages. They took over the ship and look, here's a cargo list. On the cargo list, there was there were materials. There was leather. Uh, as they circled around the eastern seaboard, they probably wrapped their head. You know, some of them were Muslims, so they covered their they covered their bodies. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to create that sub story for them because I'm always asked, you know, what what do you think they look like after they took over the ship? Or what do you think Wakandans look like? You know, I looked at the comics and every time the comics were drawn, you know, it had a technology um, uh, brought into all of these different cultures of Africa. And you can only go so far with the comics. So I, I thought this is an opportunity to really broaden the scope of this and go delve a lot deeper into this concept of tribal, of culture and technology fused together. So good. It was so amazing. Being a part of so many projects, you've had an incredible opportunity to grow, even as an artist and as a designer. And you've worked with some incredible talent and directors. Um, maybe in closing, knowing that you have a microphone in front of you that's connected to thousands of storytellers who work in a variety of mediums, if you could take that whole body of work that you've done so far, all the projects you've gotten to work on, and pull out one thing that you've learned to pass along to all of them, um, what would what would you want them to know? That your costume designer is a part of your team, that um, the costume designer does not want to be on their own island alone without you, but they don't want to be on an island uh, also. So if you, if you collaborate and you um, exchange ideas, I think the best uh, result is afoot. Wow, I told you this conversation with Ruth was filled with absolute gold. It does not disappoint, and it's practical, too, for every one of our storytelling types. The encouragement to understand, especially for all of you non-artisan types out there listening in, that you can level up everything that you're creating with collaboration and an exchange of ideas from other types, and you can create wider and more deeply felt impact. I hope you enjoyed this chat with Ruth Carter as much as we did, and I hope that all of the artisans out there feel seen and championed. If you haven't taken the Storyteller Type Assessment yet, I just want to encourage you to take a moment to do that. It only takes a few minutes. Head over to storygatherings.com, take the short assessment, do that now while it's already on your mind. Like you'll quickly find out, there are some great insights that can be found as we unpack each type, and learning to utilize and harness our strengths is in the best interest of all of you that want to tell better stories especially stories that matter. 
As always, I'm Harris III. I want to say thank you for listening. Don't miss out on any of these episodes. If you haven't left a rating or review, we would really appreciate that. It really does make a big difference. Click to subscribe if you haven't already so you don't miss any updates or new episodes headed your way. And if this is your first time listening to the Story Podcast, go back and catch up on our series on the amplifier type. Go back and catch up. It was absolutely incredible. That's it for now. We'll talk to you again next week here on the Story Podcast. The Story Podcast is a production of the Astoria Collective. It is hosted and curated by Harris III and produced, edited, and mixed by Chad Michael Snavely and the team at Sound On Studios. All music is provided by the talented musicians at Soundstripe. For more information about this podcast and other creative offerings from Story, visit storygatherings.com.